reading today from Psalm 27, which we've already heard so much about. We're going to hear a whole lot more. If you want to follow along in the Bible, that's fine. Otherwise, it's up on the screen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me. Or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Catherine and good morning again everyone. Good to be with you today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well we're continuing in the season of Epiphany, follows Christmas, focused on the revelation of Jesus Christ to all the world and today we're looking at Psalm 27 written by King David, uh, the psalm that is the set reading for the third Sunday in Epiphany and uh, verse 4 as we've heard, let me just repeat it again, says this, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Uh, the centre and focal point 
of the whole psalm is this gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Do you find God beautiful? I mean, many people happily give a nod to the phrase, the beauty of God, as a religious cliche that can be fairly easily accepted. But actually really finding God beautiful is a very different matter. And so today we're going to be considering the very important matter of the beauty of God and looking at, one, why we need it, two, what it is, and three, how we get it. So, firstly, the beauty of God, why we need it. On the surface, the reference in Psalm 27 to gazing at the beauty of God actually seems pretty incongruous. It gives us a picture of David in the temple. He's kind of in blissful worship, caught up in rapturous contemplation of God's divine beauty. Not another care in the world. And yet in the verses that come before and after verse 4, all hell is breaking loose. Uh, evil people are trying to kill David, armies are lining up to attack him and Israel, enemies surround him on every side, they're telling vicious lies against him and planning to do all sorts of violence. Uh, it reminds me a little of the C-grade movie of quite a few years ago, a very Brady sequel about the 1970s American sitcom family, The Brady Bunch, And in the original TV series, the Brady family of mum, dad, three boys, three girls and housemaid Alice were seamlessly blended together and life was pretty much a middle-class American dream. You know, a petty spat between the kids was about as traumatic as life ever got. Uh, but in the uh, the movie, a very Brady sequel, it tried to highlight the incongruity between their idyllic dream life and 20th century urban American reality. And in it, the Brady kids are pictured blissfully clueless, bypassing violent carjackings in the streets to skip through the gate of their backyard where the sun is always shining and the birds are always sweetly singing. To be able to blissfully contemplate the beauty of God in the temple, is David just pretending that all that violent upheaval that surrounds him isn't happening? Is David just indulging in some escapist fantasy? Christianity is often accused of that, you know, escaping into faith in God in order to avoid dealing with harsh reality. No, David is not ignoring the harsh reality of life in the world. It is in his face. Most of the psalm is devoted to it. Now, what he is saying is that the truth he sees in God's beauty is so real and powerful that it comes to him in the very teeth of the trauma that surrounds him 
and it breaks through it and it changes his thinking and feelings and it gives him strong hope. It actually saves him in and from the horror. That's why David can say that he asked only one thing from the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze on his beauty. He's saying that the beauty of God outweighs everything else the best or the worst, and that it is enough. It is all he ultimately needs. It will completely satisfy him, so much so that he even says, uh, were he to lose everything else that he values, if he still had God, ultimately nothing else that he loses will matter. And this is what gives David his equilibrium, his peace, his strength, even as all hell is breaking loose. We also can and need to see this truth and put it into practical effect in our day-to-day lives. So that's why we need uh, the beauty of God. So we better see what it is. The Hebrew word translated as beauty in Psalm 27 verse 4, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, it means beauty that by contemplating it gives pleasure and satisfaction. Gives pleasure and satisfaction. True beauty is something that is pleasing and satisfying in itself and for no other reason. There would be something in each of our lives that we find gives us pleasure uh, that to just see it and take it in and enjoy it is enough. We don't need to add anything else to that experience for it to be completely satisfying in itself. It might be classical music or rock and roll music or our favourite Literature or food or a particular fashion might be an aspect of the natural world. Might be catching that perfect fish or viewing brilliant painting or sculpture or sprint car racing. For whatever it is for us, that thing is beautiful. It pleases and satisfies us fully in and of itself. Uh, Now, some might say, beauty, what's the use of that? What does it produce that's useful to society? Does it really contribute that much to the economy? Isn't it just artsy fluff? Well, uh, that's a utilitarian idea of beauty. That is, beauty is only of any value if it's useful to achieve some other end. That was Judas's view of beauty. In Bethany near Jerusalem, a woman came to Jesus and anointed his feet with very costly ointment and wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And Jesus himself said that this 
was an act of the most exquisite beauty as a gesture of love, it gave him the utmost pleasure and satisfaction simply in itself. But Judas protested, saying, What's the use of this? What a waste! That expensive ointment should have been sold to raise as much money as possible. Judas was saying something is only beautiful if you can use it to get some money. Do we do things for God, praise and serve his glory, his beauty, in order to raise capital? To get credit in other people's eyes or to get credit in God's eyes? or to get growth in the church's numbers, or to get growth in the church's coffers. Do we actually find God, God in and of himself, beautiful? Does just considering him fill us with pleasure and satisfaction? If not, then we don't know who God really is. So, what is it about God that is beautiful? What is it in him that gives pleasure and satisfaction to the full? Well, when we speak about the beauty of God... Most people assume that we are meaning seeing the beauty of God in nature, in the creation. We've been talking quite a lot about that today. And of course, that's true. We see the beauty of God in creation. As creator, all true beauty that we see anywhere can have only one source, God. But we don't want to see just the reflection of God's beauty in the creation. We want to see into the heart of the beauty. The beauty in God himself. And to get that to that, it is best if we actually put the question to God. And so... If God gazed at his own beauty, the thing about himself that fills him with pleasure and satisfaction, what would that be? Well, he tells us, when Jesus was baptised in the Jordan by John the Baptist, as he rises from the water, the Holy Spirit is seen to come down on him in the form of a dove, And the voice of God the Father is heard to say, this is my beloved son, I delight in him. There is God the Father in his loving embrace of his dear eternal son and the Holy Spirit is in the midst of that loving embrace also and the Father is saying, this embrace... This relationship of love is my eternal delight. It fills his cup 
forever with pleasure and satisfaction. It is beauty. The beauty of all true beauty. Now we could trace through the whole of the Bible, everything it tells us about the loving relationship shared by the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but we don't have time now. And what we would see is that it is a relationship of total belonging love where each of the Father, Son and Spirit put the other before themselves where each are accepted and embraced and delighted in by the others and where they have perfect security and peace with each other and they thrive and delight in sharing together their great works and actually that is what we all want That kind of total belonging love, which isn't a surprise at all because we are made in God's image. We're made for just that kind of relationship and we all agree that it's this kind of relationship that is the most beautiful, pleasurable, satisfying thing. You know, I see a similar interaction to that of the father and son at Jesus' baptism play out before my eyes every time I see our grandson and his dad reunited. You see, it's that same kind of relationship. And it's this relationship that we most long for most luxuriate in whenever we get a taste of it and that we most mourn whenever we lose it. This relationship is our ultimate home. The most beautiful thing in the universe. And it's God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in loving communion. That's God's beauty. Thirdly, how do we get it? Well, David tells us in Psalm 27, the only place where we can get it and find it, in the temple. And the reason that God's presence could only be found in the temple is because that's the place where the sacrifices took place. Particularly the sacrifice for atonement of sin by which all the sins of the people were paid for and forgiven so that all separation between God and us could be removed and bring about the closest possible relationship between us and God. But in the New Testament, something amazing happens. Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, tear down this temple and I will build it up again in three days. But then it says he was referring to the temple of his body. 
see what that means? Jesus himself has replaced everything that the Old Testament temple was. He himself was the sacrifice. When the temple of his body was torn down in his death on the cross, he was sacrificed to pay for and remove all sins and bring reconciliation between us and God. And when the temple of his body was raised from the dead to eternal life, through faith we were joined in a personal relationship with him by the power of the Holy Spirit, a relationship that is so close that Jesus actually says, we dwell in him. Paul also emphasises at great length, we live in Christ. Do you see, Jesus is now our temple forever, our dwelling place where we are embraced with him in the love of the Father and the Spirit, the very beauty of God himself. And think about what happened to Jesus in order for him to do this. The Old Testament prophecy about Jesus' suffering and death, Isaiah 52 and 53 says, He was marred, disfigured. He lost every trace of beauty that was his. Why? In order that we, the broken and disfigured, might be made beautiful. May the beauty of the Lord be upon us, one of the Psalms says. And why did he do that? That's how much he loves you. Do we see what he's done for us? This is simply the most beautiful thing in the universe. We must see that. And that beauty cannot but utterly woo and win us to itself. And what we must do is to practically position and open ourselves to meet this beauty, for it to intersect and engage our lives, for it to work and draw out of us a true response. We are to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To gaze there means to be utterly captivated by something. All our attention, desire and powers focused on that one thing we gaze upon. Um, As Catherine was sharing with you earlier in the service, for our two-year-old grandson Judah, that thing of beauty is trucks, especially big trucks, even if it's the garbage truck. But no, how he responds to what strikes him as truly beautiful 
That is what it is to, to gaze at the thing of beauty, to be utterly captivated by it. So where can we gaze at the beauty of the Lord so that we're captivated by it? Um, feel like I should be saying much something much more complicated and difficult, but it's in here. It's in here. It's all described for us in the Bible. It's not rocket science. It was never meant to be. But the most beautiful, stunning thing in the universe. But we've just got to get it. We've got to read our Bibles. We all need to read and think about what the Bible teaches and apply it to our daily lives. I can't stress that enough. We can't be real, healthy Christians if we don't regularly read and study the Bible daily, wherever possible. If we're struggling to live the Christian life, struggling, for instance, to know the pleasure and satisfaction of the beauty of God so that it overshadows all our difficulties and we are not regularly reading or studying the Bible, that's probably why. And this is not an arduous thing. There are all sorts of materials available to help us do this, suitable to any Christian believer. Just ask me. I ask friends for good tips for helpful Bible study materials for myself all the time. And how can we seek God in choir in his temple? Well, by faith, we are in Jesus Christ, but we need to attend to God's presence. In faith, actively turn to him, personally engage with him, respond to him, and we do that by praying. Again, regularly, daily, wherever possible using all the aspects of prayer that Jesus teaches us, adoring God, thanking him, confessing our sins, asking forgiveness, praying for others and for ourselves and for our world. And attending to God's presence also means obedience. That is, in faith, simply doing what his word says. Of course, we might not get it right, but don't plan for that. Keep on seeking to do what he says with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. Why wouldn't we? Doing these things is participating in the very beauty of God. Amen.